0: Um, air conditioning is off. Hey, everyone feel good. Good to go.
1: Have you done your power poses?
0: No. I. I mean, my life is a power pose <laughs> these days. <laughs> I'm always in a power pose. Is in your report a fairly stunning. Last year, uh, just 26 people owned the same amount as the 3.8 billion poorest people in the world. Listen,
2: uh, I don't know about an inequality crisis. I'm not sure what, what the tangible impact of that is. I do know that we have a low
0: In the 10 years since the financial crisis, the number of billionaires around the world has nearly doubled. In the UK, the poorest 10% are paying a higher effective tax rate than the richest 10%. That's according to Oxfam's annual wealth check, published last week. It's fair to say the economy isn't working for everyone.
2: I do think a system that allows billionaires to
3: exist Mm -hmm. is wrong. There's been a call by Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez to tax uh, people earning over $10 million at a 70%
2: tax rate.
3: Michael Dell, do you support this?
2: I just want to say I'm thrilled that
0: they're
2: asking Wow. Um, No, I'm I'm not supportive of
0: that. Last week saw a record number of the world's elite flying their private jets to Davos for the World Economic Forum. They mocked proposals for higher tax rates and denied their role in presiding over an economic system that fuels inequality and hastens environmental breakdown. We could do a whole episode about all of that, but instead we're going to get meta. Every week on this podcast, we look at a different economic problem and how to solve it. But what if economics itself, the way we teach it, talk about it and think about it, is the real problem? And what does it even mean to talk about economics and the economy anyway? Is economics a cold, hard science or something more subjective and open to interpretation? Does it have strict rules like the laws of physics? Or is the economy more like a computer that could be reprogrammed? Hello, IT. Have you tried turning it off and on again? (laughs) It's the Weekly Economics Podcast. I'm Aisha Thomas-Smith, and this week I'm asking, does economics need a rethink?
3: It's all a fugazi. You know what a fugazi is? No, fugazi. It's a fake. Yeah, fugazi, fugazi. It's a wazi. it's a woozy, it's a... fairy dust. It doesn't exist. It's never landed. It is no matter. It's not on the elemental chart.
0: (laughs) Lots of people see the economy as a mysterious and unknowable entity, full of jargon and the preserve of an elite group of experts.
3: Think about it. You're dealing with numbers all day long. Mm -hmm. Decimal points, high frequencies, bang, bang, bang. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kind of can wig some people out.
0: A poll commissioned by Rethinking Economics found that only one in eight adults feel like the media and politicians talk about economics in a way that's accessible and easy to understand. But now there's a whole movement out there trying to democratize economics, widen understanding and change how it's taught across the country. I'm really pleased to be joined by three people who are trying to do just that. First up is Maeve Cohen, who is co-director of Rethinking Economics. Maeve, in a sentence, what is Rethinking Economics? Rethinking Economics is a student led movement to reform economics education. Lovely, great tagline. Welcome. Thank you. Lovely I'm to very, have you. Very happy to be you, here. Yeah. I know. I mean, <laughs> you I'm seem really, really happy. happy. Never had a guest <laughs> seem so happy. <laughs> Uh, it's so refreshing. Next up, we've got Joe Earl, who is Chief Executive of Economy, which is a sister charity of Rethinking Economics, which tries to turn economics into something everyone feels confident talking about. Is that right, Joe? Exactly. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and on the line is a longtime friend of the pod, our second ever guest back in 2015. Polly Trenow is a campaigner and policy expert on gender equality and feminist and intersectional economics. Where in the world are you joining us from, Polly?
1: From the... Uh, Windy, snowy Suffolk coast. Is it snowing? It was earlier, yeah.
0: Oh, chilly. Okay, so you're all campaigning to make economics more accessible and to broaden our understanding of economics. Let's start with the way it's taught. So Maeve, what are kids learning about economics in schools and universities right now and what's wrong with that? So economics is taught...
3: Well, you get taught one way of thinking about economics as if it is fact, as if it's the way the economy works... And this is typically independent agents competing in markets to maximise either profit if they are a firm or utility or pleasure if they are an individual. This is taught as a value-free science, and obviously it's incredibly value-laden. So it values individuals over collectives, it values markets over other ways of organising, it values competition over collaboration, and... This way of thinking about economics is not necessarily bad in itself and is is very useful and very applicable to lots of different things, but it's not the only way to Mm -hmm. look at economics. And it ignores lots of the things that we care about as a society. So it ignores distribution, for example, it ignores gender inequality, it ignores all types of inequality. So it, it, it doesn't provide a framework for which we can understand these things that we deeply care about as
0: a society adequately. And so, a lot of economics is built on assumptions about how people behave, right? Um, like human nature. Yeah. Um, so, what are some of the assumptions that are baked into the way it's taught right now? Yeah, so, the individuals are,
3: are rational, um, which obviously... They're, that ain't right. <laughs> that ain't right, I'm <laughs> certainly not rational. Yeah. That they are self-interested, um, or, or purely self-interested. Mm. Um, obviously, we we all have self-interest, but it's not the only thing that drives us. That consumption basically equals happiness. And yeah, it ignores lots of the, the other things that make us human, like um, like caring for our children mm. or enjoying a walk in the countryside or anything that can't be monetized
0: or, or, or thrust into that market model. Mm. And so, yeah, things like caring for our children and stuff are obviously things that are not just human, but also massively prop up the economy, right? So it's also yeah. about what we value. And that's not to say that that the mainstream economics
3: doesn't look at these things and doesn't have some answers for these things, but it's it's not the only way that we can that we can understand them and importantly, it's not what we're teaching
0: undergraduates mm-hmm. if that makes sense, yeah, yeah, so we're teaching them that there's this one way to think about things which is based yeah. on these assumptions about how people are, and that's that's it
3: yeah and We kind of don't understand, I don't think we we give enough lip service to how influential undergraduate economics is. Mm. So our undergraduates don't often go on to become master's students or PhD students. They go on to have jobs in the civil service, to have jobs in big business, jobs in banks, jobs in the media, and they create what we think of economics as a society. So what we teach Mm. undergraduate economists is really
0: powerful as how society thinks about economics in general. That's interesting. So, Joe, I'm going to bring you in. Also, Polly, feel free to chip in at any time. Um, of course, what kind of things are missing from the version of economics that students are getting taught in schools and universities? Do you Do you reckon?
2: Well, I think building from Maeve's point, people who don't study economics feel this huge wall between them and the subject, and so it gives economists trained economists a huge amount of responsibility and so there's there's what's wrong with the kind of subject matter but there's also how it's taught communication skills for example are are, are absent from undergraduate economics across the board and so we and that's based on this view that we're training experts to speak to other experts or mm-hmm. we're training experts to speak to elites we're not training experts to have conversations with the broader public and we're not training experts to go out into the world and to understand what really matters to people. Um, and so that skill, the communication skill, is is a crucial absence um, from, from the way that economics is taught.
0: And so what, in terms of communicating that, what kind of things do you think that everyone on the street should know about economics that they don't right now? I mean, that's a massive question, mm. but just, you know, a couple of things. <sighs>
2: I would start with understanding a bit about how experts think. So understanding a bit about how your politician or your economist in the civil service is making decisions that affect you. I think that's really crucial because then you can start to engage critically with some of those assumptions that that Maeve mentioned. I think having a feeling that you're part of the economy and that you can shape it. People, when we, we do research and we ask people to tell us what they think and feel when they hear the word economy or economics. And and people kind of describe it maybe as a as a big black hole in Westminster or they describe it as um, a big blob of money. And it's it, in all of these cases, what ties them together is it feels something that's separate and mm-hmm. far away and that governments control or big business controls, but, but not them. They don't feel part of it. And so so it 's not so much any particular fact it's it's more those two things that that would allow people to start engaging with the subject and start feeling like it's theirs, feeling like they can shape it
0: All right, so I want to ask a quick question this is kind of for, for everyone about uh, economics and climate so last week at the Davos. Summit, Uh, David Attenborough said, Growth is going to come to an end either suddenly or in a controlled way. And anyone who thinks you can have infinite growth in finite circumstances is either a madman or an economist. (laughs) Um, So, what do you all reckon that young people are being taught at the moment about economics and the climate? And is that what they should be learning?
3: So, it's insane. (laughs) It's insane. So, we're taught about the economy. And then any sort of environmental thing that happens as a result of the economy is seen as outside of that. So it's an externality. So the economy exists and the environment exists and the environment is external to the economy. But obviously we know that the economy is embedded in the environment. Mm. And mainstream economics doesn't conceptualize it like that. There are other schools of thought that do. So ecological economics sees... The the, um, the economy as embedded in the environment and any decision that you make regarding the economy, you have to consider what the environmental impacts of that would be. If we taught students that at, at university and at school, they would have a much well it would, it would be a different way to think about it and perhaps we wouldn't be coming up with these market solutions that aren't working to these climate problems that we've been banging on about for for decades and they're not working and we're still trying to use the same thing we need a fresh perspective ecological economics is one of the ways that we could um look at it differently that um incorporates the the and embeds the economy in the environment and can give some fresh suggestions to some of these problems
2: i, I think the amazing thing is is that that the environment isn't mentioned in any in any university in the UK in any of the kind of core modules the environment won't be mentioned and then you'll occasionally get a kind of module in third year which is environmental economics and a very small number of students will do it and and even then that will be envi- you know mainstream environmental economics not ecological economics and may have said so so the next generation of economists the environment is isn't there it's not a factor and Obviously, the next generation of economists is a tiny minority of people and it's a very undiverse minority of people. If we're talking about um just the you know pre and, and post-16 school education, in 2016, one percent of people studied economics and it's not on it's not meaningfully in citizenship or it's not meaningfully in PSHEs. So the next generation isn't getting any of this. If you kind of take, say, the kind of media view of the economy, then you know what matters is is GDP and jobs, yeah. um, and there's no sense of the environment being part of that.
3: And taking the just, like they take power out of economics, which is really frustrating because climate change and environmental collapse is, is very much a justice issue. Yeah. So climate change. Is, is racist. It, mm. it, it affects people of color vastly disproportionately to how it f- affects white people in the global north. And because there's no sort of conception of power and justice within the economics that we learn, even though economic decisions have massive implications for how just the world is and what powerful people can do, that's just not part of it at all, which is speaks to the sort of diversity issue as well, because nobody from the global south is involved in these discussions.
0: Mm. I want to bring you in, Polly. Are you still on the line? Hello. (laughs) Great. Um, So I wanted to ask what you thought was kind of missing from what people are currently taught and how some of the things that we've discussed so far show up in the work that you've been doing.
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest issues is about unpaid labour and that the work, as you mentioned earlier, it, it's not just about something that we like to do or that we choose to do, but it's something that keeps the whole economy going. Without it, there would be no paid work, there would be no market. And there are certain groups of people who do unpaid work much more than others, and they are. Uh, excluded their role in helping others go to work or keeping the market system going is completely excluded from from what young graduates are learning and i think that's a, a huge challenge but it's also a huge challenge in, in, then on in terms of policy making and we end up prioritizing jobs over well-being and f- kind of failing to in, incorporate unpaid labor into our understanding of well-being and, and this disproportionately impacts women looking after children but also older and disabled relatives but it also then impacts people who are doing paid care work because we fundamentally don't value it because we think it's something that people do for free and it isn't Mm -hmm. important and so therefore people who do paid care work which is disproportionately black and ethnic minority women then even their work is undervalued in the paid economy too.
0: Okay, so I think I'm starting to understand how all these things are kind of linked and it's a domino effect, you know, about, as you say, it starts with how we're taught to think about these things. And then we can see these massive ripples all through society. You were involved in a uh, project called framing the economy. Could you tell us really quickly what that was?
1: Yep, it was a year-long project with NEON, New Economics Foundation, Frameworks Institute and PIRC and this whole bunch, this amazing steering group that I was on of all sorts of different people from up and down the country. And we basically looked at what do the public think about the economy and how can we tell stories in a way that will resonate with them to make sure that when we're trying to challenge the dominant economic discourse that we're doing it in a way that the public can really get behind
0: Bloody hell! Sounds great. It was marvelous. I wanted to ask, so kind of all of you, but maybe starting with Polly, what role do you think language plays in all of this? Um, so, who, who, or what is kind of left out from the of the traditional ways that we we speak about the economy?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's language, but it's also visual because I think one of the biggest challenges, not only for undergraduates but also for the public at general, is that they see these people going out and talking about the economy, but they all look the same still you know there's still Mm. loads of just white middle-aged dudes talking about the economy and it makes you feel like if you're not that person then you don't have a right to talk about it now the spokesperson network is trying to challenge that but i think it also then gives people which is the thing that the framing economy report really brought to the fore is this loss of hope because they don't feel like they have any power over this system, which is fundamentally rigged against them. So what's the point? And as Joe was talking about the kind of gap between experts and the public and feeling like they can't touch what the experts are doing, it's, it's, it's crazy, but it, it leads to a sense of apathy, which is going to have fundamentally negative impacts on society.
0: Mm. So in some of the, so I've had a sneak peek of the report, I'll admit it, I'm just <laughs> going to be honest. Um, and and I also worked with some groups that are trying to kind of implement some of the learnings from it. And I think one of the things that I found really interesting was how it fed into other uh, kind of narratives around particular elements of social policy like migration for example like this whole idea that the economy is a bucket and some people if you put into it you're good and if you take out of it you, you're bad and, and you know migrants for example they take out and or benefits grounders or whatever and that there's a finite amount of stuff in that bucket and and kind of thinking of the economy in that way was really useful for people who wanted to advance policies which were say anti-migrant or anti-welfare or whatever um Joe, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how that shows up because I know you do some uh, kind of popular education work mm-hmm. around uh, the economy. D- does that resonate with you?
2: Mm, yeah, so we um, we do most of our schools workshops we do with secondary school students, but we've done a, a fair few with with primary school kids. And and one of the things we've done is is asked um, primary school children to draw an economist, <laughs> and and that sounds fun. It's amazing what you get because you know you get. Um, Men standing on top of globes um, with top hats (laughs) and monocles and lots of dollar signs. So the monopoly guy. Sometimes, sometimes cigars. Sometimes, you know, newspapers. And so it's amazing how young an image of 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 an economist or someone who does economics is is internalized. And so I think that's the kind of the depth of these kinds of representations in our in our culture.
1: I I think J-Race is a really good point and it's something that I feel really passionately about is actually not only does this... um fear about talking about the economy extends to school children, but then also the very people who who want to dismantle the system. So activist groups, feminist groups, disability rights groups as well, you often see them shying away from talking about the issues with the economy, like the structural issues of the economy. And if they're not talking about it, then how on earth can we make sure that the, the general public are talking about it as well? It's, it's beyond graduates, we need the people who are Doing the activism also need to feel empowered to to talk about the economy.
0: Mm. Maybe you want to jump in.
3: Yeah, I think um, the fact that nobody has the skills to talk about the economy, and that the only people who get to learn this language and speak this language because it is like a foreign language, is is this one tiny section of society which is rich white men. We talk about this stuff, and and, and obviously th- th- there are severe implications of that, right? This mm. this plays out in our in our lives. So if there's the the example that I give, I'm a working class woman, so I can talk about I can talk about it from that perspective. I can't really, with any weight, speak about it from another perspective. But like, there's huge policy implications of not having women around the policy table. So if you are the Chancellor of the Exchequer and your economy's in dire straits, and you know that you have to increase productivity, you have to stimulate the economy. Nine out of time, send you. Well, what would you do? Mm. If you would invest in infrastructure, that's what people do. You that's invest, what, I would do. Yeah, that's totally. what you would do, and do. <laughs> 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 but, but when I say infrastructure to you, what do you think of? I
0: don't
3: know, like, roads, rails, roads, trains. Yeah, so the end game is to increase productivity. We know if we're going to invest in roads and trains, then we're going to increase productivity. If the end game is to increase productivity, well educated people are more productive. We know that mentally well people are more productive. We know that physically well people are more productive. But who works in construction? Men. Who works Mm -hmm. in the care sector, in social work, in education? Women. Mm -hmm. It's completely arbitrary that we choose to invest in this form of infrastructure rather than this form of infrastructure. And I can't help but think that's because there's no women around the policy table. That's because we Mm -hmm. value that work less than we
0: value that work. But isn't this, I mean, y- I, yes, a lot of it comes down to GDP, right? How we think about like growth and what's valuable. And it's not just that like we care more about like the work that men do and we undervalue care work. But it's also that they produce a thing that we then go and sell that we think is more valuable than, for example, taking care of the people in our own society. But we're
3: not going to sell HS2 to anyone, are we? Yeah. <laughs> HS2
0: is embedded, like it's in the UK.
3: Mm. And the other thing that people say is, oh, oh that takes a really long time. <laughs> but how long does infrastructure investment take? It all takes, a really long time. It is- and it's
1: also, it's also not true. The Women's Budget Group did the analysis and found that investing in social care sector would create greater growth than investing in physical infrastructure because a lot of the physical infrastructure jobs are short term that you build the rail and then it's done and then you only need a small mm-hmm. amount of people to look after it. Whereas the jobs in hospitals and uh, schools, their jobs... You know, for life or for years, and also then they are in increasing the capacity of other individuals. So it's um it's actually better for growth.
2: Uh, and I'll tell I, them. And I think and I think <laughs> and I think social care is a great example of this. Is that when you have a load of economists sitting around the table, it's a technical problem. It's a problem about funding, and can you find a technical fix? can you find a way of, of doing insurance differently so that we can fund the ageing population? But actually, it's a social question. It's about what does it mean to get old and what what responsibilities do we have for our parents and grandparents and how can we come together as communities and societies to make ageing a positive thing? And so all of that gets gets lost in in kind of, policy responses when it's narrowly economic. Economics is part of it, but it's also about us coming together and saying, you know, how can we look after people who need to be looked after and how can we do it in a way that meets our values? And when you take
3: when you take power out of politics and you take power out of economics, there's real social consequences. So arguably, we've been treating economics and politics as a, as a technocratic exercise for so long that we've... We're now in this situation where populism is on the rise. We've been ignoring the needs of people because it hasn't fitted into our like technocratic economic methodology, and it's causing massive social consequences that are
0: pretty negative. Okay, oh, so I got like a general question for folks <laughs> <laughs> about how things could be better. Yeah, Joe, yeah. you just touched on that, and I feel like I need a bit more. I need a bit more sunshine positivity. In my life. Yeah. We've we've
2: been quite. it's, it's like I think. I don't, yeah, I did just kind of was just trying to think there. How do we make this positive? Because I guess we're people listening to this who, you know, don't have a background in economics and we're getting angry because we're angry. It's every week, mate.
0: It's every week. <laughs> this is that's, okay. that's how it goes. People yeah. come on and they're like, it's really shit for all these <laughs> okay, reasons. Okay, and then good. it gets to the end. All right. Good, no, you're okay, good. And right, then I'm we're like, we're in uncharted territory. Okay. No, no, no. That's so good now we're in because, chapter 10. Okay. What's the solution? So,
3: yeah, I mean,. So, what rethinking economics works on. So, we campaign for curriculum reform and we campaign for, um, an economics education that is pluralist, critical and real world. And by pluralist, we mean look, teaching all the different ways, not all the different ways, but mm. m- many More. different <laughs> ways of looking at the economy. So yeah, if, we, if we're if we looking at it through a feminist economics lens, we can then incorporate gender dynamics a lot better and answer some of those problems. If we look at it through an ecological economics lens, we can factor in the environment. And there's, there's, there's many different ways that we can look at the, the economy. So we, we want those to be taught to undergraduates. By critical, we mean engaging with the assumptions that underpin all of these theories so that we can understand them and we can understand the consequences of them on, on the outcomes that we have using these models. And by real world, we mean based in the real world, looking at economic history, looking at real world data, and ensuring that we're not doing this theoretical exercise that we're actually looking at the real world. And then the other focus of rethinking economics is diversifying the people that study and practice economics. So creating genuine pathways for people from underrepresented groups to get onto economics courses and then stay on those courses when they're on them and then become economists. And obviously that one's a bit more long-term, but is, is completely essential. If, if we want a, 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 an economy that serves all of society, we need to have representatives from all the groups of society in that economist class.
0: Bloody hell! Yes. <laughs> All right. So I mean, amen. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after everyone's done, there, like, what, what's Steel. the next step? Yeah, yeah, I want you to also do, and like, how can people get involved in that? So, Maeve, if you're a student, how can you get involved? And if you're not, what can you do? So if Who's you're a student, rethinking? I mean, if you're anyone, it's yeah.
3: rethinkeconomics.org. Mm. Um, and in the corner, there's a little tag that says become a Rethinker." Click on that, mm. fill in the form. Um, and Ross, you're rethinking. Baby. Then you, you oh. are rethinking.
0: <laughs> you're in. <laughs>
3: nice. But yeah, then Ross will get in touch with you and we'll figure out how how, how we can help you, how you can help us, how we can... And Ross is the best. I just that. I just had to say it. It just came out. I love you, Ross. Such a top <laughs> boy. Please return Shout my out. calls. Please
0: <laughs> text me back. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Polly, what are you doing and how can people do it with you?
1: Right. Well, the first thing that people need to do is don't let cis, white, able-bodied, heterosexual, middle-aged men talk down to you about the economy. Just don't <laughs> do it. Just be like... Testify. Yeah. My voice matters, I'm part of the economy, my opinion matters too, just because you've got some piece of paper that says that you think that you know loads about the economy doesn't mean that you do, and have like, be empowered. And then I would really encourage activist groups, um, anybody campaigning for a better society to go and look at the framing economy Report and look at how you can change the way you tell your story to make it resonate with the public better Mm. so that you understand this black hole that the public have or the cynicism that the public have about the economy and it means that if we're telling stories that resonate with them better we can get them on side more easily and that's hugely empowering it's a really awesome piece of research and then if you want to get involved in the Women's Budget Group, it's wbg.org.uk. If you're interested in thinking about unpaid care or how gender inequality or um, other intersections impact how we make economic policy, it's a, membership is free. It's open. Come get involved. They're a lovely bunch. Amazing. And I know it sounds like the Framing the Economy
0: report is dry because it's the report, but I've read it. It's colourful. It's got lots of pictures. It's, it's got really loads of pictures. <laughs> it's mostly pictures. Yeah, it's great. Day five, you can pop it in your bag. So yeah, download it. Joe, take us home. What can we do?
2: Um, well, I'll start with what the answer is, or the, one of the answers. <laughs> to, oh, <sorry>. answer. <laughs> <laughs> an answer. Uh, an answer. So I guess, I guess Maeve's talked about economic students and Polly's talked about the importance of, of of not just activists, but everyone having the confidence to challenge the experts and the elites. And I guess at economy Economy, we, we're thinking about what would the UK and the world look like if everybody could use economics as a tool to achieve what mattered to them? So that's got lots of different aspects. It's about improving communication in the media and diversifying it. It's about education in schools and adult education in communities, finding new ways of talking, really, talking with each other and being curious and getting out of our boxes. And so ways you can get involved, you can find us online, just type in economy. We come up top most of the time. (laughs) Um... You can when you
0: type in the word economy. Yeah. No way. No, uh, hey, that is some decent SEO. I,
2: well, who, right, now I've said it. Now I've said <laughs> it. People, everyone will be checking. It like they're not top <laughs> second, third. You know, that you, is very see impressive. It. Okay. Well, anyway, not to not to brag. just <laughs> <It laughs> <this>, <laughs> because because the the story is that we our our URL is ECNMY <laughs>
0: Our producer's saying they're number three. <laughs> oh,
2: they're number three. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So Still, I'm lying.
0: Still so The word economy, come on.
2: And Well, the reason it's so important is because our URL is ecnmy.org. And so so before this, we had to say, it's like economy, but without the O's. And everyone would be like, what? Mm. (laughs) So now, now, okay, that's that. Um, But you can um, (laughs) get in touch with us and we can come and do a community uh, crash course in your area or for your organization. You can volunteer to facilitate those courses if you're... If you're interested in economics, but also if you just like teaching and 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 facilitating conversations, um, you can check out our news and entertainment platform at sign up to our daily news digest, which breaks down breaks down the economy and hopefully makes it feel relevant, accessible, and human.
0: Nice. <laughs> I feel relevant, I feel accessible, I feel human, I'm ready tried, to get out of yeah. my <laughs> yeah. box. I'm like taking on all the jargon. Um Amazing. Maeve, Joe, Polly, thank you so much for joining me to rethink the economy today. It's been brilliant. It's been wonderful. I feel really quite inspired. Um, so Maeve Cohen, where can people go if they want to find out more about Rethink Economics? Real quick recap. Okay, at RethinkEcon on Twitter. Also, you can follow me at Flavor
3: which I think is my <laughs> proudest prim- <laughs> achievement today. Um, yeah,
2: get involved.
0: Amazing. Joe Earl from Economy, same question.
2: Uh, just type economy into Google and we come up. <laughs> and we come up third.
0: <laughs> and what about your personal, uh, really fun, Alina? I,
2: I have no idea what my uh, Twitter name is because I was just told to get it when I came to work at Economy. So <laughs> oh. Joe, Joe, J O E, Earl, E A R L E. Hopefully, I come up.
0: Okay. Hopefully, I exist. Hopefully, I exist. So existential. And Polly, how can people keep up with you? And anything that you're excited about that you want to plug?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm Polly Trenow on Twitter and uh, uh, it's the Women's Budget Group is wbg.org.uk. I've also got a website where I post my musings,
2: <laughs> which mm. you're welcome to go to. It's oh, Uh
1: It's mainly the only people who visit it are people who want to read my interview with a porn star.
2: Oh, that, yeah, that is a <laughs> great I, way to great plug there. <laughs> I'm there yeah
0: um, amazing fun. lovely listener that is it for this week so sorry if you've enjoyed this episode please tell someone about it a special shout out to the economics teachers who listen to this podcast and even recommend it to their students we love you and we really want to know what you thought of this episode so please get in touch we are at weekly econ pod on twitter the weekly economics podcast is produced by James Shield with help from Florrie Burton and Fergal O'Dwyer this week. And we were brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. I'm Aisha Thomas-Smith. See you next week.